morning. Glad you guys are joining us this morning. Uh, my name's Sean. I am one of the pastors here at Monmouth Christian Church, and glad that you guys are joining us online. We've been working through a series in the book of Matthew, so if you have a Bible near you somewhere, you can grab it. If you've got another device you want to go on the Bible app uh, or something like that, you can go um, and uh, follow along. If you're watching, if you went to mymc.info to watch, there's a spot underneath the chat that says notes, and you can click on that, and the text that we're going to be going through is actually going to be right there as well for you. Matthew 9. Today we're actually just going to be looking at four verses, just four verses today, as is our custom is, you know, we're just rushing right through the book of Matthew. Uh, This season for us as a church has allowed us a a little bit of a gift in that everything's kind of been tossed upside down. We talked about this last week, that everything's kind of changed and and we're moving into this new normal that we don't really know what's going to look like post-pandemic normal, but in this time we've almost kind of settled in this normal of weird as normal. And and, and I think one of the gifts about the season is it's giving us an opportunity to re-ask questions. You see, if you've spent a lot of time in church, there's probably a lot of things that you assume about how you do church or what it means to be a follower of Jesus or how we interact in this world that you probably assume you know the answers to. The, 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 the problem is, is that sometimes those are things that someone just told us or we assumed. And, and this chaos of the season we're in is giving us an opportunity to, to ask new questions. And so last week we talked about what we should be doing. And so we talked last week about Jesus raising Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of bleeding. And we talked about that um, in every season, and especially in this season, we can do two things. We can bring ourselves to Jesus, just as the woman with the issue of bleeding did it, and lay ourselves at the foot of Jesus at the foot of the cross, at the foot of God himself, and, and pray and plead for healing and recovery and, and reconciliation and restoration. We can, we can do that. But then also, First Peter tells us that we're to be a royal priesthood, and that we can be like Jarius, who went and advocated on behalf of another, right? And, and we can go and we can, put, we, can, we can be the mediator, we can be a priest. The job of priest was to be a mediator, to advocate both directions, to advocate on behalf of God to the people, and to advocate for the people uh, on behalf of the people to God, right? And that we can do that through prayer and that one of the great gifts that we have always, but especially in the season, is to be people who advocate for the broken in our world and our community and our families and our spheres on behalf of them and, and pray that God might bring healing to them just like Jarius did for his daughter. Today, last week we talked about what we do. This week, we're going to be talking about the heart of why we do what we do. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 9, let me just read you all four verses. They're they're going to be up here on the screen if you don't have it. It says this, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Verse 36 says this. Seeing the people, he felt compassion. That right there, if you've got a Bible and you want to circle something, if you are an underliner, if you highlight, this is what you need to highlight. He felt compassion for them. This is the central thrust of these four verses. And in fact, even more than that, this is the central thrust of, of, of a whole section of the book of Matthew. Matthew's broken up into um, several discourses. And each discourse is kind of like a chapter of the book of Matthew form, right? And it begins 
begins with teaching. Uh, Next week, we're going to move into Matthew 10, which begins the second discourse, which is called the missional discourse. And these four verses bring to the end what is the Sermon on the Mount discourse. You remember all the way back, like a year and a half ago, we started the Sermon on the Mount, and we worked our way through. And, And the Sermon on the Mount actually begins with some very similar verses to this, and this is kind of the bookend, but to summarize this whole discourse is this statement. He felt compassion for them. Now, let's just pause for a moment. This is uh, not as much what I want to get into, but this is something that I need you to see, okay? This is who our God is. He felt compassion for them. We believe that as followers of Jesus, that God, that that Jesus is God himself. He's fully God, that the fullness of God dwelt in him, that he's 100% God and he's 100% man. And so we believe that the, the heart of God is a God who feels compassion for people. Not anger, not aggression, not bitterness, not hatred, but that Jesus in the fullness of God saw these people and he felt compassion. The verse ends this way. We're just going to stop here at verse 36. It says this, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. They were distressed. Some of your versions may say they were abused. They were harassed. They were distressed and dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd. You see, uh, Jesus sees the need of the broken people in front of him. The the first thing that's important for us to understand when we're talking about compassion is that Jesus sees the need. There's a verse... we covered a couple months ago in Matthew 6. It's, it says in Matthew 6, verse 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Like, can, can, we just, can, we just, can we just pause for a moment apart from this whole verse and this whole story? Just think about this verse. Think about this verse in relation to this pandemic. Think about this verse in relation to your job status. Think of this verse in, the, in, in relation to having to homeschool your kids. I don't know if homeschool is even the right word. To, to have your kids at home and attempt to mitigate the chaos uh, by attempting to teach them something and tutor them. Before all this, your father knows what you need. Your father knows. The God that we worship, he knew this last Christmas that Easter wouldn't look anything like Christmas. He knew that, that, that this Easter would be um, substituted instead of big gatherings and celebration and big family things and, and community things going on. He knew that it would be sus- substituted with Easter and quarantine. He knew. He knew every detail. He knows what you need. The Father that we worship knows what you need. This is at the heart of the God that we worship, that he knows you, that he sees you. L- look back at verse 35. This is, this is a really profound, uh, um, uh, sorry, verse 36. This is a really profound statement that we have to recognize in, in this compassion conversation about the God, a God of compassion is, is look at this. It says this in verse 36, three simple words. Seeing 
the people. Jesus sees you. He sees our community. He sees your neighbors. He sees your coworkers. He sees our nation. He sees the world. He sees the brokenness. We worship and serve a God who cares intimately about the people of his creation, cares deeply about the people of creation. And the heart of the God we worship is a God's heart who breaks for his people. He saw them. You see, if we are going to be followers of Jesus in this season and in any other, in the seasons to come, whatever they may look like, if we are going to, as um, the, the, the old Jewish teaching used to talk about, if we are going to follow in the dust of our rabbi, right? If we are going to be covered in the dust of following a dirt path, following in the footsteps, we might say in a more modern way, following in the footsteps of this Jesus, then we are going to have to be people who see people, who see the need, who see the pain, who see the brokenness in our world. Jesus, on top of that, verse 36, Jesus actually saw the true need of the people. He, it's it's going to be answered in, in verse 38 in Jesus' resolution to this, um, in Jesus' answer to this problem. But look at this. It says that Jesus saw the people. They were distressed and dispirited. But that's not their need, right? Sometimes, sometimes we get things confused, and we think that the things that people are suffering with are their need, that they were harassed. That's not their need, that's a symptom of the brokenness of their need. Look, look at this, look at this. Distressed and spirited like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus is going to tell us in verse 38, the solution is that there need to be people who will care just as a good shepherd. In Jewish thought, there is no way that this statement does not allude to the good shepherd who, for a Jew, was God himself. Jesus says later, I am the good shepherd. You see, Jesus sees a world of broken, wandering, and hurting, and aching people, and he says their greatest need is to be welcomed into the kingdom. He sees a group of sheep who've been wandering around in the fields, beaten and abused and harassed and lost. Jesus' ministry can be summed up in, in this really great parable of the lost sheep. And what Jesus is saying is that he sees a crowd of the single sheep who's wandered away. And that their greatest need in their life is to be welcomed into the kingdom, to be welcomed in, to find a place at the table, to be welcomed back into the flock, to be shepherded by their God, to find reconciliation and restoration and care and provision and protection and joy by their God. You see, if we are going to be followers of Jesus, we have to be people who can see not only the pain, but see through the pain to see people's greatest needs. John Piper has this really great quote we'll put on the screen for you. He says this. He's talking about the church, and this was a command, he, uh, a, a statement he made towards the church. He said, care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Care about all suffering, if we are going to be people who look like Jesus, who follow in the footsteps of our rabbi, who, who follow in the footsteps of our Messiah, who follow, who have the same heart of God, then the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of suffering, the pain of people in all scenarios, we must see, and, and then it says this, um, verse 36, let's put that back up there again. Verse 36, it says, he felt compassion for them. 
He saw the need, and then he felt the need. The, the word in Greek for compassion is, um, is something, in fact, I'm going to butcher it, but you know, unless you speak Greek, you're, you're not going to correct me. So it says this, the, the word in Greek is something, in fact, of splachnizomai. I think I just made that up, but that's actually in my notes right there. Splachnizomai, something like that, right? You can correct me later and you can say it better, but that's what I'm going to say. It's It's kind of fun to say. It feels like very like a Star Trek word, right? I don't know what a Star Trek, but it feels like it would be something they'd say on Star Trek. Live long and prosper. Splachnizomai. <laughs> Anyways. Um, the, the word we translate as compassion, the word means um, like an aching with someone else deep inside you. See, see for the Jews, for an ancient Near East, the seat of the emotions was their gut. It wasn't their heart, right? If you feel pain in your heart, you should call 911, okay? Um, if you feel pain up here, go to the doctor. But when you feel something, you feel it down here, right? Even still today, we talk about having butterflies in our stomach, our stomach's all in knots. Like you, you feel things in your gut, Right? And, and this, this word, spaknizomai, is, is this word of feeling this aching for someone else. See, Jesus saw the need. But then on top of that, Jesus felt the need. He felt compassion. Now, he, here's an important note to, to make compassion is different than pity. Jesus didn't feel pity for him. Pity, pity, pity comes out of a heart of arrogance, pity's easy to have, right? Oh, oh, those poor children. Oh, those poor people, right? Pity, pity comes from a looking down your nose. It sees the need. It sees the need, but it stands next to the need with arrogance. Uh, uh, pity is, is like what the, um, what the two guys had who first walked past the guy who'd been beaten up in the story, the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The two who walked by, the priest and the Levite, as they walked by, they had pity on him. Oh, look at him. Oh, beat up. Oh, what a horrible abuse. And they kept walking. The good Samaritan came and had compassion. He ached with them. The God we worship, the God we serve, the God who is Jesus is a God who aches with us. There's this really great passage, and it says that when we don't have words, that the spirit, which is God itself, himself as well, that the spirit groans on our behalf. He has compassion. He aches on the deepest parts of who he is with us. If we are going to be followers of Jesus in this world, we must not only see the need, but it must be something that makes us ache. We have compassion that our hearts break with aching for a lost and broken and dying world. Jesus' heart breaks because they have not found their place in the kingdom of God with the good king of mercy and healing and restoration. Jesus sees the need and then he felt the need the last thing is this, in verse 37, it says this. Then he said to his disciples, being Jesus, right? The harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. Now, j- just for a moment, okay, um, we can't take this out of context of what's been going on. Jesus, you remember, it, it, two important things happen. Jesus sees the need. He sees the people. It says that he walked through the villages and through the cities and he went to the um, synagogues, which is like the churches. He went to the synagogues. He saw the people. He just touched the woman who had the issue of bleeding, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. He just walked with Jairus to his daughter who had died, and he raised the daughter. He, he just healed the deaf and the mute. He, he just done all, he'd been touching these people, and then he says this, then he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, or plead, or beg, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Plead for God to send workers. You see, Jesus sees the need, he feels the need. And then he fills the need. And Jesus, Jesus tells us that we should be pleading, praying, beseeching, begging God. This is what he's telling his disciples, right? The 12 disciples are all there. We can count Judas out of this, okay? The, the other 11 disciples spent their lives following Jesus in this, in pleading that God would send workers into the harvest. Here, here's the crazy thing. You are the answer to the prayers of Jesus and the disciples 2,000 years ago. That in the midst of brokenness and suffering and pain and fear and angst and hatred and shame and bitterness, all these things in the, in the, in the, in the face of abuse, all these things that make our guts just tense up and make us nauseous and make us ache for other people, that Jesus, that Jesus' answer is to send you. To send you to be a worker into the field, to go and gather the lost sheep, to gather all those who've wandered away from the fold of God, all those who've wandered away from the good shepherd of grace and mercy, to gather them back and to bring them back so that they might come back to find the goodness of their Father who is full of compassion. You see, in God's great compassion for the world, he has unleashed the church. You, you are God's plan to bring healing and restoration to the brokenness and the pain of this world. That when the disciples ached for all the people who were hurting, when Jesus ached for all the people in the world who were hurting, he didn't say this, hey, um, gotten to all the cities yet. And if I could just have a couple more years, more than three, maybe if God gives me 12 years. If I have 12 years, I could wander around and I could heal all the people. He doesn't say that. He says the face of pain and brokenness that causes a turmoil deep inside you and aching when he saw the need and he felt the need. Jesus' answer to fill the need was to tell the disciples to pray that God would send you. He'd send you to go chase down, to go chase down the wandering, abused, and hurting, and broken sheep of this world, and to invite them to come and sit at the feet of our King, to come and join back into the flock who is, that is cared for by the good shepherd of grace and mercy and kindness. So 
So my question for you this morning, maybe all of this is just kind of passed over a little bit because the question, one of the questions I want to ask you this morning is, when was the last time you ached for someone? N- not, not pity, not, oh, what a bummer life they have. <laughs> Glad I'm not them. But when was the last time your heart broke? You ached, you wept, something deep inside of you turned over and twisted and there was pain deep inside your soul. I can tell you some of the things that we ache for as a church. As a church, there are certain things that that, um, just resonate with us and make our soul collectively as a church ache. Uh, One of those things is is kids and families. It's why, you know, five, six, I don't know, seven years ago, whatever it was, we started this thing, Back School Bash, because many of us in the room knew far too intimately the, um, the shame that's carried along with, um, uh, with going back to school with insufficient supplies. Going back to school without what you need and, and the awkwardness of kind of being um, uh, socially called out by and all that kind of stuff. And so we, we just, you know, we felt like, hey, we, we need to throw a party and we need to help provide for these kids. We need to help give them the resources and the tools that they need to be able to um, learn best and not be distracted by other things, but to engage in, in, um, in, in this world and in school so that, that God, and, and we need them to see God's care for them. That Remember Matthew 6, that God knows our needs need, right? That there's a God who knows their need and that we would be that answer to that need. That's why a couple years ago we started focusing on kids on Mother's Day. And we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, we talk about child sponsorship, we talk about supporting the foster care system because they're things that make our hearts ache as a church, that there are children out there that by no fault of their own are experiencing some of the most painful things that can be fathomed or imagined. And we wanted to be a church that walked beside them and said, your father in heaven sees you and he knows you and he loves you and he cares for you. And that's why we filled trailers with diapers. It's, it's why we've... Um, uh, added people into the foster care system to be foster parents. It's why we've found ways to try and resource and provide and care for the needs. It's why we've hosted the foster care appreciation night for the last three years every spring. It's why we've done these things because these are things that make us ache deep inside that there's this brokenness that we see. We've seen these people in our hearts break just as the fathers does. For the nations... Uh, this church has sent out a disproportionately large number of people out into the world. Part of the legacy of this church of 160-some years is that we are a church who knows that the kingdom of God is bigger than what's happening here in Monmouth, and we have freely and joyfully sent our people to nations all around the world. 
Every year, we, our goal is to give 10% of the money that comes in away to things that don't help us, don't profit us directly in any meaningful way because we know that the kingdom of God is bigger, and so we're going to sacrifice, and we can find a lot of things to do with that 10% of money. Trust me, I could find a lot of things to spend that money on. But our hearts ache because God's heart is for the nations, for the whole world, for every tribe and for every tongue to gather around his throne to worship him. Our hearts ache for those who are far from God. It's why we've been doing this online church deal thing uh, for like six years now is because we know that someone who's far from God is probably not going to walk into the church the first day that they think about going to church. They're going to go search out online. It's why we spent money and time and volunteer resources on doing something like this because we believe that digital isn't the destination, but it is the front door. And we want to prevent as big, we want to create as big an open front door for people as possible. It's why we've staffed, when we have services in person, tons of volunteers and we do ridiculous things like, like the, the wagon thing. You remember the wagon, the, pulling the kids in on the wagon? It's why we have umbrellas for people in Oregon, right? I don't know how many dirty looks I've gotten from people when I offered them an umbrella. They're like, I'm an Oregonian. I want to get pneumonia, right? Like, I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's us, right? Why? Because we want them to know that we are planning for them, we're preparing for them, we're expecting them. It's why we do Christmas, why we do Xmas at MCC, the way that we do it, ridiculous. It's why Aaron dressed up in that ridiculous outfit and sang a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody. It's because we want people who are far from God to know that they're loved and they're cared for. That there is a God whose heart aches for them. It's why we, we're going to do an Easter egg hunt and drop 20,000 eggs out of a helicopter. Right? All the fun and stuff around it wasn't about that. Is that we wanted to shout from the rooftops that there is a God, there's a Father, there's a good shepherd who sees you and aches with you and loves you. These are the things our heart aches for. My question for you this morning is when was the last time your heart ached, your innards ached for anything? outside of yourself. The question might be asked is, you know, Sean, like my heart doesn't ache. I recognize that I've never shed a tear for a single person or a single thing in this world. There's nothing in this world outside of my comfort that makes me uncomfortable or painful or discomforting. And what is this? If your compassion muscle has atrophied, right? If your compassion muscle has become so weak and lazy that you can't even ache in the face of just sheer brokenness, what do you, what do, you do? Well, I think you do just what Jesus did. You remember in verse 35? Let's put that up one more time. It says this. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus was going through all the cities. Jesus, God of all, it says, emptied himself, leaving the throne room of God. He emptied himself and he came to us. Uh, in in um in First John when it's talking about Jesus it it says that um that the Word became flesh and He dwelt among to, amongst us. The, the word is actually an allusion to the tabernacle of the Old Testament, that he abided with us, that he was in proximity, that he was near to us, that Jesus touched the, the woman with the issue of bleeding, that Jesus touched Jairus' daughter, that he touched the blind man, that he touched people. 
the healing, the, the restoration of, of, of a weakened compassion muscle comes through proximity. If you feel no compassion for the broken, if you feel no compassion for the abused, for those who wander like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and abused, dispirited and beat down and discouraged, the solution to strengthening your compassion muscles to be like Jesus is to walk near the broken, to eat with the broken, to touch their hands and their face, to hug them, to be with them, to be near them. So my question for you is who is God calling you to be near? Who is God calling you to draw your heart near to that you might be like Jesus, that your heart might break for them, that you might see the need, that you might feel the need, feel the need and that you might be a part of filling the need? Because you see, here's the plain and simple truth. If we are going to claim to be Jesus followers, we will be people whose hearts break daily. And if we are not, we may be a lot of things, but we do not look like the Messiah we claim to worship.